welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. John Rickgarn joins me here today. John, I really appreciate your time. And everybody can find what you're doing by going to rickgarn.com. That's going to be a clickable link in the show notes. But we're going to be talking a little bit about Airbnb and the current rates in, in the market, <laughs> right? This is going yeah. to be a great conversation. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it, Jack. It's good to see you again. I know it's been number of years since we met a person up in Fargo and then as it five years ago back in Indy all that way back when <laughs> yeah we uh, that's a story to unravel one day the the indie chaos that I've been to <laughs> yeah so to speak that might eat more than 30 minutes <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that we're talking about a little chaos you see a little chaos in the Airbnb and short-term rental world yeah I've been so you know, a number of people ask me, you know, John, what do you do? And I've kind of streamlined it to I acknowledge myself, introduce myself as an investor, educator, and realtor in that order. So I invest in real estate as well as alternative assets. I educate people through my podcast, YouTube, blog, etc. And I'm also a licensed realtor for the state of Minnesota as well. I, you know, full transparency, I have one Airbnb, a condo down in Tucson, Arizona, have had that for four years. It's actually doubled in value, which was not the intent. It was more for cash flow and as a second home. We were very fortunate. We refinanced to a 30-year fix. Let's see, this is back in October of 2020, 2.875%. You know, been working out really well. And when we have it under market rent, and rented for about five, six months out of the year, that pretty much covers all our costs. So one, it's a free place for us to stay when we go visit, you know, our son's grandparents, uh, my wife's family, but then also anything on top of that is gravy. I've noticed, especially over the last two years, everyone was getting on the Airbnb kick, especially after COVID, you know, hey, rent out a room in your house, rent out your condo, make some extra money. And I think it came up to, you know, any idiot can do this. And I've noticed it's gotten extremely saturated. The cost has really gone up. You know, even two years ago, you could find a nice Airbnb for maybe 80 bucks a night. You look at a hotel, oh, well, that's 100, 110, 120. Yeah, I'll do the Airbnb. Well, now it's almost flip flopped. At the time of this recording, I actually just did a road trip down to Oklahoma City. And when I was comparing rates, I stayed at all hotels. I couldn't find a enticing enough Airbnb short-term rental and talked to a property manager down there. And she even said the buyers or you know renters are getting very picky and they're starting to see you know tapering off of what they can get for rates, all while insurance, property taxes, et cetera, are increasing. So I think there's going to be, you know, I want to say nationwide, but definitely in some of the hot markets, I think a number of people are going to be like, hey, I'm barely breaking even now. What's the point of having this Airbnb? I'm just going to sell it. <laughs> yeah, I can't agree with you more. The Every time we price anything out, if we're going to go anywhere as a family, Mm-hmm. It more times than not, it just doesn't make sense anymore. There used exactly. to be like a deal or a unique experience, but yep. It, and and then those 
platforms, as far as I can tell, seem to be very saturated. Mm-hmm. To try to stand out is almost impossible. Yep. Well, I think there's the associated cost. I mean, as another investor, I'm sure you've seen it too. You know, property taxes have been going up, insurance premiums. Uh, we just got a notice. So last year, our fourplex in Marshall, we had a 20% increase on our insurance premiums. And now we're looking at another 15-ish percentage, you know, this year. You know, those costs still go up as well for short-term rentals. Add in the extra scrutiny, if you will, of number of city councils, local legislations where they're either banning it or over-regulating it, you know, I think kind of a sweet spot is to kind of look at 30 days or more, not just do this one day, three days, or even like a week here and there. Well, since we're real estate investors, if this is a tsunami heading heading this way regarding Airbnb, what should we do to prepare to possibly take advantage of the situation? I think the biggest thing that I foresee, well, really two avenues. One, if you can do, yeah, I wouldn't really go the Airbnb arbitrage. I think that's really bit a number of people in the butt where they're basically renting a rental and hoping to make money on the spread. If they do end up hitting the market, one, see if the the loan is assumable. As a realtor, I'm kind of surprised that more people don't talk about this, that there are you know, everyone's like, well, I don't want to give up this three, four percent interest rate loan, but I can't keep this house anymore. And then as an investor coming in, it's like, well, gee, you know, numbers don't make as much sense at six and seven percent. There's a very real possibility that there might be a loan on the property. You as the new owner can assume the loan or subject to with the property. And I think Overall, just be very conservative on your numbers if you are going to do it as a short term or see if you can make it work as a long term. If it does, do it as a long term. If the opportunity opens up, then make it a short term, more profits, and that's just gravy after that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I actually I've, I haven't run into a lot of realtors in the area that actually even understand that concept of an assumable loan. Is yeah, that something you lead with as a realtor? Or I don't really or? lead with. So I tried, you know, I think the standard realtor, if you will, it's, hey, let's help you buy a first time home. Hey, let's help you downsize. Let's get a second home. And those are kind of the you know cookie cutter approaches they do. And I really try to look at it more of a unique play where, again, I try to educate people on real estate, not sell them. But, hey, I want to get started in real estate, but I don't have the money. Okay, are you a veteran? Maybe they are. Okay, do you know that they have VA programs, 0% down? You can get up to a fourplex, live in one unit, rent out the other three. Same with the first-time home buyer. Really just, I kind of just leave with more of what's all possible with real estate versus, hey, let me help you shop around for a loan. This one's half percentage or 50 basis points below the national average for mortgage. Here's your first-time home buyer. You know, give me some referrals and see you later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing that because of your investing background, that you do have some more tools in the toolbox than a traditional realtor. Yeah, it's, you know, I've networked with a lot of people, you know, just like with your podcast, I have a podcast as well. And it's very interesting, the growth of my network, I'd say over the last five years, just between, you know, email, LinkedIn, social media, but I've really networked with a lot of hard money lenders or 
what's called non-QM or non-qualified mortgages. I can attest, you know, whether it's a first-time home buyer or as an investment property, the Fannie Freddie underwriting guidelines can be very laborious. Whereas non-QM, your non-qualified mortgage, they typically just look at your credit score. And then what does the property support for numbers? And it's usually a lot less paperwork. Again, I still find a lot of investors that aren't familiar with this. They think they have to go to Chase, Bank of America, et cetera, to get a loan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it'd be interesting to talk. Do you have an example of something that you were able to get a person into a property through this through this method? Uh, the... <laughs> Well, the one that sticks in my mind, so this is this is about a year ago, so it did help a couple uh, become first-time home buyers. And one, I kind of educated them of like, you know, just because the bank says you can afford this, you know, up to X amount, doesn't mean you should really tap out all your resources. And I just kind of explained, you know, insurance, property taxes, you know, just line item, a minimum 5% increase per year. I don't see a lot of even banks do that. They just say, yep, here it is. And they just assume that's what it's going to be. Also, again, you know, kind of just back to my network, won't name names for defamation case, but there is a very popular online mortgage platform that in the real world can just be a pain in the butt to deal with. And they almost torpedoed a deal to get my buyer into a home. That's like, you know, tell you what, why don't I introduce you to a local provider? He lends all over the state of Minnesota. Not a lot of people have heard about him, but he's very quick for underwriting. He picked up the deal, ran the ball, even with a few hiccups with, you know, FHA or the Department of Housing. We had it, you know, underwritten, you know, clear to close within week, week and a half, I think it was. And that was after dealing with all the screw ups that this online company did. <laughs> Yeah. A local mortgage broker is always the way to go if you're getting your, I mean, it's having that familiar face and somebody you can call and reach out to in your market versus faceless organization. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I got him, I got him on speed dial or not speed dial, my favorites on my phone. I can reach out to Ryan pretty much anytime he responds back same day even on weekends and holidays. I don't have to navigate some complex phone tree, you know, at the you know, regional bank or, uh, you know, national banks after that. What I find really interesting, and I don't know how much experience you've had with this, but it seems like as we've been going into some of the bigger properties and, you know, apartment buildings, the assumable loan concept or carry back, if you, mm-hmm. is another option, is more prevalent in those yep. larger properties and it's easier, easier and those investors already have that concept in their head that they might have to do that. Yeah. Well, and you know, you bear up a good point as far as the seller backed and, you know, here in, you know, Minnesota, you know, contract for deed is kind of the term. It has various terms nationwide, but there's still such a stigma that, oh, if you're doing contract for deed, the buyer must have horrible credit. They can't qualify. That's the only reason to do contract for deed. It's like, well, I actually did a LinkedIn article on this about two, maybe three years ago. If you're an investor and you're worried about taxes and cash flow, there's a lot of benefits for a seller back finance on the seller side as well, especially if you're going to be getting a huge tax hit from Uncle Sam. So I, right. you know, I wish we could get that negative stigma out there, but there's a lot of benefits for both parties for seller back financing. 
Yeah, and it's one of those things that it it seems to make the multifamily space a little more achievable. Yeah, than some people would think because that's a it's a limiting mindset, right? It, mm, yeah, and we've learned not to ask for those contingencies <laughs> or those. <laughs> so, it's it's great that you, like I said, have these tools in the toolbox that you can advise some people that these are these are options. It's it it's it's rare to run into a realtor that has that problem solving mindset, if you will, when it comes to any kind of acquisition. Well, like I said, and I, you know, I'm I'm kind of more of an introvert. I'm not, you know, a big, you know, type A extrovert or anything like that. But my goal, you know, for any clients or prospects, like, hey, let's just meet up for coffee or after five for a beer, and let's just talk about, you know. What's your situation? What's your goals? What's possible? And I'll get the pros and cons for anything and everything. I'm not a big believer of this is a silver bullet for everyone. What might work for some person, maybe it's a VA loan or seller back financing might want, not work for someone else. So I, I educate people on real estate. I don't sell real estate. You know, you, you mentioned being an introvert. Have you found that, you know, being an, being an investor, we have to, we have podcasts, we have, we do a lot of networking. We have yep. to go to a lot of networking events. How, <laughs> how much have you had to push yourself into these type of activities versus? A little bit. I say that kind of hesitantly. One, the nice thing about, you know, being an introvert, but the networking events that I go to tend to be more around more like-minded people. So, you know, where you're talking about, real estate investing, tax strategies, asset protection, et cetera. Whereas if it's a general party get together where people are like, hey, what'd you think about that Vikings game last week? It's like, I could care less about sports. I can contribute nothing to this conversation. Also with my podcast and YouTube channel, you know, talking into a microphone versus talking in front of a crowd of, you know, hundred people or more, that's a little bit more relaxing, but the same token seems to have just as much reach. Just a few weeks ago, I had to chuckle. I was looking at my podcast stats and, oh, someone in Jerusalem downloaded my podcast. Okay. I don't know anyone in Israel, but that was interesting. Yeah. It's it's crazy when you look at some of the stats. <laughs> uh, when it, yeah. And then it, it's even crazier. Have you had anybody come up to you and say you've they've listened to every episode? They found your show and started from the beginning? I have not they, had that. I've had a number of people that did come across my podcast. My sister-in-law mentioned she checked it out and has listened to a number of them. And she, you know, she's not all that tech savvy per se. So the fact that she said, found your podcast, downloaded and listened to it was kind of shocking to me. But yeah, friends, neighbors, people in my network, it's been interesting and been fun just to kind of see the reach of it. Yeah. One of the, one of my favorite sales oriented books is called The Introvert's Edge. If you if oh, you've okay. ever read that, I and, have to make a note of that. And, it, and there's there's things and and activities as an introvert we have a tendency of doing naturally that top salespeople have to be trained to do, and it's it's just really an interesting book. So I was just kind of curious if you had read that. Gotcha. No, I have to add that to my uh, long list of Amazon wish list. I just wish I could read more. Read books as fast as I find books to read. <laughs> I keep buying more and more to the point where my Audible library now, I don't think it's attainable in my lifetime to finish it. 
Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a Kindle reader. That's why how I read most of my stuff. And I'm down to 18 titles at various stages on my Kindle, which is down from, I think, my high of 64, where I got addicted to Kindle Unlimited and free credits. It's like, oh, download that, download that, download that. Right. And it just took me two years to clean it out. <laughs> yeah. Just to remind everybody, head over to rickgarn.com. That's going to be a clickable link in the show notes. If you like what you've heard so far with John, do us a quick favor and share it with one of your real estate investing friends. So Rick, let's talk a little bit about the current rates and market conditions. Sure. So what do you, what do you think and what, where are things going? Well, I think, well, I wish I had a crystal ball, you know, as far as August 24th, 2024 rates will be at 5%. I wish I could, you know, give everyone that magic, you know, future headline. Macro level, you know, what the Fed's been doing the last, you know, 12, 24 months is pretty unprecedented, you know, doubling of the mortgage rates. One could argue they were maybe too low in 2020, 2021. You know, historically, off if you go over, you know, 40 years, 6 7% is kind of the normal for, you know, what rates are. And I've always been a big believer, you know, just, you know, run the numbers, see if the numbers make sense. You know, I myself in a few years, I'm looking at doing a massive cash out refi across at least three of my properties, pull out a few hundred thousand dollars to redeploy with other properties. And I've factored in the numbers at 7%. It'll work out fine. A lot of people are like, well, John, you're currently at four and a half percent. Why would you refinance to 7%? And I think what a lot of people don't understand is one, with the appreciation, you can unlock some more you know, equity. But then two, I think people get so fixated on that rate where once you have that term go out, I mean, I have properties, you know, remaining terms anywhere from seven years, 26 years, 15 years left. It's like, well, if I refinance that to a 30 year fixed at the same payment and even a higher rate, more than likely, I'm still going to be able to pull more equity out. So I think, I think it was Russell Gray of the real estate guys just said, just do the math and let the math tell you what to do. And, you know, rates are going to go up, rates are going to go down. I don't think they can go much higher because as you know, you and I, both U.S. citizens, we have a 32-ish trillion dollar national debt, which is a lot harder to service at 7% interest rates versus 2 or 3% interest rates. But like I said, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't think rates are going to go up that much more, but not to say that they might stay at a higher level for a couple of years either. Well, I don't know about what you think about this, but the Fed seems to be so slow to react. So by the time we're getting into any kind of trouble, it we we might see some pains as they decide to reverse course even on this on a small scale. Exactly. Um, I always joke that the Fed is kind of like the arsonist that gets credit for putting out their own fire, in my opinion. It's like, oh, uh, we have high inflation. Preaching to the choir on that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now we're in a recession. Quick, lower the rates. Then we just go back and forth and back and forth. And I don't know. It's a little humorous. Well, on the flip side, you know, because of the recession, well, inflation, the, 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 the value of what is owed is actually reduced because of the yeah, inflationary. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of, I mean, like right now across our investment properties and even our primary home, we have rates, we're locked in anywhere from, let's say lowest is 2.375, highest is four and a half. You know, so if it makes sense to refinance, I will. But the same token, I don't have to, where we're starting to see more and more 
you know, syndicators, multifamily operators where, oh, I'm going to get this bridge debt and then I'll refinance at 4% and they underwrote their numbers to maybe work at five. Well, now they're six, seven, eight percent. Now they're just kind of starting to implode one by one. I think there's, was it Houston or Austin? I can't remember. It was one company like filed for bankruptcy and had to walk away for like 8,000 units or something like that. I'm wondering where we're going to start to see things start to stabilize a little bit. You know, we're start we're still seeing properties on on market a little longer. People not comfortable to kind of take the leap. When is when is the current interest rate going to be more normalized and people feel comfortable to start having properties flowing again? Yeah, if I'd uh, again, I don't have a crystal ball, but just what I see, I think I don't think rates are going to go up too much more. In the next, I'm going to say six to 12 months, like you said, the Fed seems to be a little slow to react. And then when they do react, they tend to overreact. I foresee a stabilizing of rates next year, a slight lowering of rates in 2025, 2020, 2025, 2026. We'll probably be through at least one more, you know, recession unless. Uncle Joe comes up with a new definition for what a recession is now. But <laughs> around 2026, I think we'll be at more normal, quote unquote, rates between five and six percent. But, you know, again, you know, rates are relative, you know, values are relative. You know, there's other options, like we said, seller back financing, assumable loans. And while I don't think they're a silver bullet and there's pros and cons, you know, sometimes, especially for the more transient crowd, you know, the seven you know, seven-year arms and 10-year arms might not be a bad, you know, option to at least consider nowadays. With turmoil always brings opportunity. Where do you yeah. see the biggest opportunity right now in the current market? It's, I've really been looking at more of the sleepy markets that really don't get a lot of traction, if you will. Uh, right before we jumped on this podcast, I was finishing up one that's going to d- drop here end of July. So I've been looking at like Des Moines, Iowa. I have a duplex in Davenport, Iowa. Been starting to look at some more of the, you know, tertiary markets, you know, Oklahoma City is another one. Possibly Tulsa. I haven't quite said yay or nay on that one yet. But just some of the markets that are like the big and upcoming ones, you know, Memphis, Houston, Dallas that everyone talks about. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a while for good long-term cash flowing properties in those markets. But if you kind of look at where it's not as high flying or sexy, if you will, yeah, these aren't markets that are going to appreciate double digits every year, but they're also not markets that are going to decrease (laughs) when rates start going higher, like we saw in Boise and Boise, Idaho and Austin, Texas, just to name a few. So what what are the property types as your main investing strategy right now? Are you, you mentioned a duplex, are you staying in the duplexes and Smaller ones, or are you going into larger investments? Yeah, generally speaking, I like the one to four units, mainly for economies of scale, especially with fourplexes. I think those are kind of the silver bullets that a lot of people don't talk about because with the fourplex, it's you and I would consider it multifamily, but in the banking world, they consider that single family. You can still get Freddie Fannie, 30 year fix, low interest rate loans you know, one to four units. And again, back to those house hacking strategies, like I talked about, if you want to do an FHA or VA, live in one unit, rent out the other three, move out, you know, after a year, I wouldn't be opposed to going, you know, maybe five, 12, 20 unit apartment complexes. Personally, I like to have more of a diversified 
portfolio and where I can, you know, especially single family homes, you have more exit strategies available. I can sell it to a homeowner. I could, you know, lease back options, seller back financing or something. Whereas with an apartment complex, and if you have a hundred unit apartments, you really can't sell off five units to one investor, 10 to another. It's pretty much all or nothing. And also with the larger properties, you're pretty much stuck with selling to another investor where they're going to be looking at the numbers where the single family homes, it's not uncommon that people will pay $20,000 above ask because that's where they're going to live versus I'm looking at this from a numbers play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did run into one guy who will, who would acquire a multifamily place and then convert it to condos and then individual. Yeah. But yeah. I guess be- there's yeah condos. And then they've talked about the, with the, you know, not going down the crypto rabbit hole, but with the blockchain, there's ways to, they're experimenting securitization, you know, apartments. So you can sell off a portion, you know, undivided interest or whatnot of a larger multifamily, but we'll see how long it takes for the governments to catch up with that technology. Yeah. The the crypto world is interesting to say the least. I've, I've yeah. had, I've run into a few people that do or have suggested similar things. Mm-hmm. So just to remind everybody one more time, go to rickgarn.com. That is a clickable link in the show notes. But, John, this has been great catching up with you. Yeah, you uh, as well. I'm hoping we can let, – let's close things out with some rapid-fire questions. All right, let's do it. What lie do all investors tell themselves and others? What Say lie would be the maintenance and upkeep bills aren't going to be that bad. They just think, oh, put a little money to the side, you'll be fine. It's like, you'd be amazed at how fast those repair bills can pick up. Yeah, uh, that is one of the hardest lessons learned when it came <laughs> to single family investing. Yep. And man, it it's very painful when you're, you might be earning $300 a month yep. out of a unit and then the refrigerator goes out. Exactly. So <laughs> what book would you recommend or what are you reading right now? Let's see, I can give two. Uh, right now, one's on, sh- I'm reading right now, uh, Shadow War, about how Russia and China are kind of doing espionage, IP theft, et cetera, against the United States. Really kind of an eye opener. But one of my recommends that I always give that not a lot of people have heard about is Heads I Win. Uh, Tales You Lose by Patrick Donahoe essentially goes into the quote unquote evil whole life insurance that Dave Ramsey, you know, rallies against. No one should touch it. It's like, you know, open your eyes, you know, go in with an open mind and see what benefits it has with it. Is there a tool that you can't live without, whether it's in your personal life or business? A tool that I can't live without? Probably Dropbox. I've been very both personal and professional. I like taking, you know, family pictures, but then also screenshots. If I come across like an article or something, I want to read back later and then can easily search across multiple devices, find an invoice I got to pay to a picture I took of my son to whatever the case may be. I use that every single day. (laughs) If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Throw everything in Amazon stock and retire early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the what you know now, huh? Like exactly. Apple, yeah. like Amazon. You know, yeah. pick pick any of those blue chips. Yeah, Bitcoin when it was a dollar. I mean, take your pick. But yeah, I'd say. It, See, and I, I would have been the guy who would have. I knew of Bitcoin when it was like just starting out. Okay. And, 
And I would have been one of those guys that would have mined some, put it on a USB drive, and then lost the key to get back. (laughs) How many billions of dollars are just in landfill because that nobody can access their Bitcoin or they lost the key and yeah, don't remember their seed phrase or whatever in under 60 seconds. I want to get you to give everybody a tip or trick they can implement in their real estate investing business today. What would it be tip or trick real estate investing? And I'll diverge a little bit to personal life. Really work with a tax advisor that understands depreciation that can help offset your active income. But as another side topic with that, I, while I'm a believer in retirement accounts, I think Roth accounts are extremely unrelated, underappreciated. And so many people are like, well, I've heard about this Roth conversion, but then I have to pay the taxes now. One, you're going to pay the tax on the seed, not the harvest, once it goes to a Roth. But two, if you work with a really good tax advisor, not just, you know, QuickBooks or Intuit or anything like that, use your real estate depreciation to offset your IRA conversions to really get a true tax-free conversion. And then once it's in your Roth retirement account, it's tax-free forever. And hey, if later on you need it, you can take out your contributions tax-free and your earnings at most, you're going to have a 10% penalty, which is a lot cheaper than a 28, 30% marginal tax rate. (laughs) Sure. Well, John, this has been a great conversation. Again, it is rickgarn.com. Is there a question or concept you wish we would have covered here today? I think the only thing I'll mention, and you can actually read my life story on rickgarn.com. I'm a big believer of don't defer your life. I think so many people are like, oh, I'm going to work hard, save money, put money in a retirement account, et cetera. And when I get to age 65, I'll do A, B, C, and D. I preface that. It's like, no, it should be if you make it to age 65. My parents both passed away of cancer in their 50s. By the time I was 16, I've known numerous people that have passed away in their 50s. So, you know, retirement accounts have a place, but I'm a big believer. Do not defer your life because tomorrow is never guaranteed. Yeah, that that's something that I think more people need to hear. You know, I my my kids, my daughter is on the verge of graduating high school. And to be frank, I I barely remember most of her childhood, Mm. (laughs) (laughs) you know, because you get so busy with everything else. You know, I I shouldn't say I don't remember it, but it's, it's, uh, you get so wrapped up in everything you're doing that you kind of neglect the things that are really important. Exactly. So, and like they always say, no one's on their deathbed that says, gosh, I really, really wish I spent more time at work. <laughs> right. Again, rickgarn.com. Really appreciate your time again, John. Let's make it a little sooner next time. I agree. Yeah, we'll definitely have to meet up again uh, virtually or hopefully in person. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.